Thanks for tuning in to Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. So we've been covering a lot of different areas in this series, Running on Fumes. If you're running on fumes in your marriage or your parenting or your finances, uh, all, all these different kind of areas. And today we hit one that was the hardest one to study in God's Word for me. It's what do you do when you're running on fumes in your spiritual life? And you say, I said that to Stephanie this week, and she said, why was that so hard? It seems like that'd be easy. Spiritual life, it's like what the Bible talks about. Like, that's the point. Like, it's so hard because it's everywhere, like in the Bible. So you're trying to do a Bible study on what the Bible has to say about how to fuel up or energize your spiritual life. That's like everything, you know? And so you're trying to sum that all up into 30 or 40 minutes, and how do you do that, you know? And uh, I'm, I'm obviously not going to cover everything the Bible has to say today um, about your spiritual life, but I want to kind of, um, with as much energy as I can muster, address the people who are here today who just feel worn out and tired spiritually. And so I want to read for you a paraphrase from the message translation of Matthew chapter 11. I love how they paraphrase this three-verse paragraph. Starting at verse 28, says this, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That is what Jesus wants for you. Not for you to be weighted down, beating yourself up, feeling ashamed and guilty, feeling um, like you don't seem to do religion as well as other people. That's not what Jesus wants for you. Like you're not as spiritual as other people are. That's not what Jesus wants for you. Like, you're, like you've got this weight on your shoulders of religion and it's just holding you back. No, he wants you to be free, to live lightly. He, he didn't come to give you an oppressed life. He came to give you an abundant life. A life that is rich and satisfying. And so if you're here today and you feel like, I don't seem to get it. I can't piece all this spiritual stuff together. I, I just mess it all up. You're in the right spot today. Whether you realize it or not, we're all spiritual beings. I know there's a physical component to our life, but the truth is the spiritual side of you is more important than the physical side of you. You can be messed up in a lot of ways physically, and still feel complete and whole as a person. How many of us have heard stories of amputees that lost limbs in a war, but, but have found like wholeness in life after that? How many of us, including myself, are like just completely out of shape, way worse shape than I was 20 years ago, and yet somehow like I can still be full and happy? You can lose your health um, and still feel complete and happy and whole. You can find kids in the cancer wing of a hospital who are just living their best life. But if your spirit gets messed up, if the inside of you is defeated, it's hard to keep going. If hope gets drained out of you, it's hard to keep going on. It's been said, I've shared this with our church before, that you can live weeks without food, days without water, minutes without air, but you can't live for one second without hope. And I want you to know today there is hope. That God wants you to find him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to feel complete rest in him each day. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me, says the Lord. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me, says the Lord. But here's the kicker. Here's the catch. It can't be halfway. There is no such thing as the person in the Bible, the story in the Bible, the commandment in the Bible that allows for us to just kind of hunt God down on Sundays and think we're going to find him. It doesn't work like that. 
There is no moderately Christian. There is no kind of like one foot in, one foot out. It's either all in or all out, all the time. The pastor in the church I grew up in used to say that Jesus is either Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. And that's the truth. You can't be kind of in and out. It's either you or it's not you. You're either looking for God with all you got or you're not looking for him at all. He's either your God or you're your own God. It's got to be all or nothing. All right, so I want to start off today same way we started off every other week of the series. I want to give you some indicators that you might be running on fumes spiritually. Can I do that? So I'll just give you this list. They'll be on the screen kind of one at a time. Here's the first one. You lack assurance of salvation. What do I mean by that? It means like you're afraid you're going to go to hell. Maybe not all the time. Maybe just off and on. But you got this fear inside of you. You're going to get punished someday by God. And if that's you, you're probably running on fumes spiritually. It's hard to live that way. The Bible says if you're afraid, if you're afraid, then it is for fear of punishment. And that shows that you actually haven't experienced the full love of God because perfect love drives out fear. And so if you find yourself like up and down, one day thinking you're going to make it to heaven, one day thinking you're going to make it, you're going to end up in hell. I don't know what's going on, but I am sick. Is that just me or was the lights doing something there? Okay. <laughs> if that's you, if you feel like that, then you're probably running on fumes spiritually. It's an exhausting way to live, to be afraid one day you're going to be in hell. And then the next day think you're going to be in heaven. God doesn't want you to live that way. Here's another indicator. Are you ready? You're living by circumstances. In other words, you determine how much God loves you based on how good or how poorly the day went. If you had a good day, then God must be proud of you and must love you and want to be close to you. But if you messed up, screwed up, did something you knew you weren't supposed to do, had a bad day, then God must be angry at you and probably doesn't want to be anywhere near you. This trickles into every other part of your life. You become a very volatile person. Some of you in our church are like that. Like there's people in our church, I got to like tiptoe around. Like I never know how they're going to come into the building, like from one week to the next. You don't know if they're going to keep their commitment or if they're going to bail on it because it all comes back to how that day's going. Are they going to give to God? Are they going to serve? Are they going to have a good attitude when they get here on Sunday? I don't know. If they had a good Saturday night, they will, you know? And if they didn't, they won't because they're living on their circumstances. If the day's been good, then they're all good. If the day's been bad, they're all bad. That's an indicator you're running on fumes spiritually. Here's a third one. You ready? They got, you got unhealthy relationships. I really racked my brain on this one for a little bit as I was thinking about it this week. And I thought, how can I best explain this? But you really don't have to. The truth is, if you're here and you have one of these relationships, you know it. It's an unhealthy relationship. It's somebody in your life, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a spouse, a close friend, a coworker, somebody you've got an intimate connection with, and they drag you away from the Lord spiritually. Being around them is a net negative spiritually. I was like, how can I say who that is and explain? But you know it. Like if you have somebody like that in your life, you already know it, and you know it's exhausting to be around them for a long time. And they're going to empty your spiritual tank. Here's the fourth one. You ready? You've got no passion for the lost. What do I mean by the lost? I mean people who don't have a real relationship with Jesus. And you have no passion for them. Your Christianity, your faith, your spiritual life, it's all about you. It's all about what I can learn, what I can enjoy, what makes me feel good on the inside, it's all about you. You have no passion for the lost. I wrote down in my notes, even when you seem to be serving or helping others, it's really just so you'll feel better about yourself. I know I'm like going real old school today, but the, the pastor in the church I grew up in used to also say this. He used to say, if they were to put you on trial for being a Christian, 
Will there be enough evidence to convict you? And I don't know. I don't know for a lot of us, you know? And I've changed that as I grew up, and I used to tell people, like, hey, if they were to put you on trial for being a Christian, and they couldn't use coming to church as evidence, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Because I think for a lot of people, being a Christian just means they come to church. Here's the fifth one. You ready? Ignoring spiritual disciplines. See, all strong relationships have healthy disciplines. You don't start dating somebody or marry somebody or, or have a baby or enter into any kind of relationship. And from the beginning, it's like understood like, hey, we can both just do whatever we want. There's no rules. No way. All healthy relationships have some rules. They have some disciplines that they practice. Like, yeah, I like you. I'm willing to go out again. Okay, I agree to be your dad or be your mom, but I'm not going to smack you in the face. Right? I'm not going to see other people. I practice those disciplines because I want the relationship to be healthy. You're a husband and a wife. You take some vows. You practice some disciplines. My wife gets sick and I can't be like, well, I don't deal with sick people. I'm just going to go move out for a week. No, I got to like serve her and help her. And she's been like serving me all week, by the way. So thank you. Dropping food off at my door like I'm an inmate in a cell, you know. <laughs> and so if you're ignoring spiritual disciplines, then you're probably running on fumes spiritually can't just do whatever you want whenever you want without hurting the connection between you and the Lord without draining the spiritual tank all right so let me spend the rest of our time today kind of want to walk you through how you can refuel your spiritual tank it's not everything like I said the Bible's got tons to say about this but I just want to get us started can I do that just some simple things so here's the first one. I said, be 100% sure. If you want to recharge your spiritual tank, be 100% sure. I, I debated for a while whether to say be 100% sure or be 100% honest. But what I'm saying here is you got to get real honest. Get real honest about yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says this. Examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourself. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is in you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Do you get it? I got to get real honest and examine myself. Is Jesus in me or not? If I'm not sure, then you're running on fumes. God wants you to know that Jesus is in you. God wants you to know that your faith is genuine. So you got to get real honest about your condition. Are you a Christian or are you just living a lie? Are you just going through some motions? I always tell people the best way to know this is to look at your life and just say like, what is the stance I have towards the Lord? Now you can read a lot of different verses and there's a lot of different words in the Bible for what it means to be a Christian, what it means to have salvation, right? And, and, and that's confusing to some people. It's like, well, what do I have to do to be a Christian? Do I have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, the Bible says that. Do I have to receive him? Yeah, the Bible says that. Do I have to walk away from everything and follow him? Yeah, the Bible says that. Well, why can't there just be one word? Is it about faith? Is it about belief? Is it about receiving? Is it about following? I think God did that on purpose. Because if there was just one word, then we'd all just be saying, well, yeah, I got the one word down. But it isn't really about a word. It isn't really about a magic prayer. It's about my stance towards the Lord. So what is the stance of your heart towards the Lord? There's a lot of stances out there. I always tell people, like, sometimes people's heart is positioned towards the Lord like this. Like a fist in the air, Adam. You're not going to tell me what to do. And some people's stance towards the Lord, their position towards the Lord, is like their head hung down in shame. 
he wouldn't love me. But neither of those are the position of a Christian. That's not the stance the Bible describes of somebody who's following Jesus. Somebody who believes and has faith in him. Who trusts him for everything. Some people are flipping their middle finger off at God in their heart. Some people like God. They think he's okay. They want him to help him out. But their position, their stance towards him is like he's a genie. Like he's just waiting to answer their wishes. He, he, I just sit down in my room at home and I kind of rub my Bible and then I tell God what I want for Christmas and he just shows up like Santa Claus and gives me whatever I want. But I don't see that in the Bible either. The stance of a Christian, the position of your heart towards God, if you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, if you've believed in Him and only Him for salvation, if you've received His free gift of eternal life, if you're following Him with your whole heart, whatever verbiage, whatever words you want to use, the stance of a Christian in the Bible is like this. And I always tell our church this right here, two hands in the air like that, that's the universal sign for I surrender. Like, like if you travel halfway across the world, to a tribe somewhere that doesn't speak English and you don't know their language, and you stick a gun in their face, they'll go like that. Because it doesn't take any words to know what this means. It doesn't take any church attendance to know what this looks like. And so you have to get real honest with yourself. Is the position of my life, my heart, is the condition of my heart towards the Lord one of I surrender? Whatever you say, I believe. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. God, I mess so much of it up, but whatever you say, you're the boss. It doesn't feel like you should love me, but if you say you love me, I'll believe it. It doesn't seem like you would die for me, but if you say you died for me, I buy it. It doesn't seem like I should be treating that person with kindness. They're, they're a jerk. But if you tell me to turn the other cheek, I'll turn the other cheek. It's like whatever he says, I yield. That's the position of a Christian. So get real honest with yourself. Is that your position? You don't get to pick and choose the things you'll surrender to God about. It's all or nothing. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. If I only follow God in the areas that I agree with him in, then I'm really following me we got a lot of those Christians in this country. They follow God to the extent that they enjoy it. And then they turn their back on Him as soon as it's something they don't like. I understand it. I would like to be my own God too. Who wouldn't? That is really the problem with mankind. We just want to be our own boss. So you got to get real honest with yourself. Examine yourself. Listen to what John writes in 1 John chapter 5. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Do you get it? He wants you to know you have eternal life. It's not supposed to be a mystery, a guessing game. Well, I'll see what happens when I get to heaven and stand before the Lord. You're able to know right now. So that no matter what happens from day to day, I don't have to wonder if I'm going to heaven or hell. I don't have to base my attitude on how I feel or what my circumstances were. If I have a good day or a bad day, I can still follow Jesus' instructions. I can still choose joy and have a good attitude. Do you get it? I wrote down in my notes, there's really only two things that keep people from surrendering their life to Jesus' authority. The first one is that they think they're good enough without him. And the second one is they're trying to be good enough for him. And if you think you're good enough without him, then Jesus didn't even come to earth for you. He said that. I didn't come for the healthy people who think they're all good. I came for the sick people who need a doctor. 
And if you you think the answer is you trying to be good enough to make him love you, then you don't understand how messed up the human heart really is. Because the Bible says that all of our good deeds, all of our righteousness, all of the things we do that are good, they're like dirty, nasty, filthy rags. In other words, you can't ever be good enough to make God love you, to make God accept you. You can't ever be good enough to earn your way into heaven. So thinking you're good enough without him, fail. And trying to be good enough for him, fail. Neither one of those are surrender. Surrender is when I recognize I'm beaten and I can't do it. So I just give up. And now Jesus gets to run my country. He gets to occupy my land. And that continues even after I pray a prayer, even after I tell the Lord I need him to save me and I surrender my life to follow him. With it. That continues my entire life. I don't graduate from that need. Just because I got baptized or I signed some car to the church, I still need Jesus every second of every day to be the boss. I still need to be honest about myself. 1 John 1, verse 8 to 10 says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Just for the record, this is being written to Christians. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. David wrote in the Old Testament, Psalm 32, starting in verse 3, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Finally, I confessed all my sin to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. And I think so often what we like to think is like, I come to Jesus, I surrender my heart to him, I pray some prayer, I tell him he's everything to me and I'll follow him whatever he tells me to do. And then my life is supposed to get progressively better every day from that point on. And I'll never mess up the same way I used to. I'll never go back to the way I was before I was a Christian. I'll just keep getting better and better and better because Jesus died for all my sins. But now that I'm a Christian, I des- he deserves for me to just get better and better and better. And so that's what I'll do. But that isn't really the reality of life, is it? There's no perfect Christians. And from Jesus' perspective, all of your sins were future tense anyhow. When he died for you on the cross, it was 2,000 years ago. So all of your sins were in the future to him anyhow. Whether it was before you prayed a prayer or after you prayed a prayer. Whether it was before you surrendered your heart to him or after you surrendered your heart to him. It's not like now that I sin, Jesus is surprised by that one and takes back his salvation from me. He knew I was going to do that and still died for me. When I surrendered my heart to him, it doesn't mean I become perfect. And if you find the person that says, I became a Christian and I've been perfect every day since, you found yourself a liar. There are no perfect people out there. And the same grace that I needed from Jesus to save me is the exact same grace I need every single day to sustain me. It never changes. I never graduate from needing it. I still, I've been a Christian for, I don't even know, over 30 years now. And I still get angry at people all the time. I still lust all the time. I still get filled with pride all the time. I'm still jealous and I envy and I get bitter and I'm still filled with all the same garbage I was 30 years ago. But thank God, His grace is greater. And I'm still free. And I don't have to worry about where I'm going to go for eternity. I'm still safe right in the palm of his hand. 
All right, I spent a lot of time on that one because it's so important because the rest of them are worthless without that one. Do you get it? But here's the second one. You embrace Jesus' lordship. You acknowledge that God is in complete control and he gets to call all the shots for my life. My circumstances will no longer determine my moods, my choices, or my attitudes. And so when it comes to my tithing of my finances, it doesn't matter what mood I'm in that week. When it comes to my commitment in a serving role, it doesn't matter if I got enough sleep the night before. When it comes to how I'm going to treat my coworkers, when it comes to what I'm going to do when the boss isn't looking, it has nothing to do with if I can get away with it or not. It's a surrender to Jesus' lordship over my life. And so I just live the life he says to live no matter what. I had like three people tell me not to come to church today because I'm so sick. And I was like, I'm going. Because what I felt like was my sickness was just the devil trying to keep me away from like a message I needed to share. And I was like, I'm going to push through. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are. That's not to say that like if you're sick, yet you need to come to church. In fact, if you're as sick as I am, I'd probably prefer you not come to church and breathe on me. But I'm trying to stay away from everybody, so... But I'm surrendering to Jesus' lordship on my life. I make all the decisions ahead of time, not in the moment. So all the decisions about what I'm going to do with my time and what I'm going to do with my money and what I'm going to do with my abilities, I make all those decisions ahead of time and then God honors me as I follow through on the commitments to him. Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Nowhere in the Bible you're going to find the verse that says, Go out there and just wing it. Do what you feel like doing. And God will make it all work out because He just wants you to be happy. No, you find verse after verse like this one. Make a commitment to the Lord. Follow through on it and then your plans will succeed. Romans 8.28 says it this way, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose for them. It doesn't say that God causes everything to work together for good. What it says is, God causes everything to work together for good for the people who love Him. The ones who are called according to His purpose. God gets to set the agenda, the purpose, the plan. I love Him. I commit to that plan. I make decisions ahead of time to honor Him. And then He rewards me as I follow through on those commitments to Him. I delight myself in Him, and then He gives me the desires of my heart. You can't just like get whatever you want. He's not a genie. Do you understand? Do you get it? Here's the third one. You ready? Pursue godly friendships. It's very hard to live the right life surrounded by the wrong people. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, Don't be fooled, for bad company corrupts good character. My mom said that to me when I was growing up, I think. I thought she was just making that up. I didn't know it was in the Bible at that time. But Bad company corrupts good character, or good morals, some translations say. And this is why we are so passionate here about life groups. Because we know enough to know that if you don't get surrounded by some people who are in an all-out pursuit of Jesus too, you're going to fail. Christianity is not a solo sport. It's not tennis. It's not golf. It's way more basketball and football. Do you understand? It's like a team game. If it weren't that way, God wouldn't have invented the church. He could have done all this without church. He could have given his word to prophets and said, distribute it to all the people. Let them go home with their family and just live by themselves following me. But instead, he created this thing where we're supposed to get together and love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, help one another, bear one another's burdens. Why? Because we're not supposed to do it alone. We're supposed to go after, pursue Godly friendships. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you'll become a fool? No. That's what it should say. That's what makes sense logically. 
Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you will suffer harm. Like it'll wreck your life. And everybody in the room knows this. If you spend any time with a fool, if you've been around anybody for a long time, it just drags you away from God. You know that it's only a matter of time before it wears on you and changes you. What am I trying to say? This, this is what I was trying to say when I was thinking about this this week. You should be begging us for community instead of us always having to be up here begging you to get into community. If you don't want to be drained spiritually, if you want to feel light and free and the freedom that comes in, with living in grace, you should be begging us for community. And it's like the opposite in the American church. We have to like beg you to try community. Come to a life group. Come to a prayer session. Come get together with some of us. Like, you, it should be the opposite. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like, if you want to refuel spiritually, get plugged into some community. I don't know that I've ever been in a church that like pushes real community more than ours. And that's why. Because you're not going to make it on your own. And I wrote down this question. You can just think about this on your own, but why does it seem like we care more about your soul than you do? That's a good question to ask if you want to recharge yourself spiritually. Why does it care? Why does it seem like the pastor cares more about your soul than you do? I don't get any extra credit or any extra pay. I don't get any extra reward if you go to life group. I don't. In fact, all the people in all the other life groups, they don't even know if you go to that life group. Like, I mean, I know. Like, I look at the attendance thing and stuff, but like, they don't even know. So like, there's no, like, I get nothing else out of that. I mean, if you come to my life group, I get something out of that, like a bigger food bill. But that's about it, you know. But like, if you go to any other life group, like, I don't get anything out of that. Why does it seem like I care more about your soul than you do? I don't know. That's, if that's like too harsh, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sick. Just, just chalk it up to me being ill, okay? But I thought that was a good question to ask ourselves. Here's the fourth one. You ready? Adopt Jesus' mission. If you aren't concerned about Jesus' mission, then you will instead be concerned only about your own mission. And you will always feel drained from trying to keep up with the world around you who is also chasing after their own missions. Here's Jesus' mission. You ready? It's in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Talking about himself, he said, For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save those who are lost. What is it in your life that you can point to as evidence to say, like, I care I care that people don't go to hell. What, what is it? Like, can you point to anything in your life that would be evidence that you care that people don't end up in hell? Or is the entirety of your Christianity, of your faith, all about you? There's nothing wrong with that stuff. Your own personal spiritual growth, that's excellent. Your own commitments to the Lord, that's excellent. It's all good worshiping, singing, praying, learning, all that stuff's great. But if nothing about you is about Jesus' mission, then you're probably about your own mission. 2 Peter verse three, or chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord does not want anyone to be destroyed or perish, some translations say, but wants everyone to repent or come to repentance. That's God's mission that more people would know who he is, know what he's offering them, and they would respond in faith to trust him for their eternity. And I hear all of the excuses. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't have enough courage to talk to people about my faith. I, don't, I can't speak in front of groups, and I'm real nervous one-on-one. -on -one and all. I get it, but that doesn't exempt you from the Great Commission. Who cares if you like it? What does that have to do with it? I wonder how many of our excuses are going to hold up when we stand in front of the Lord someday. And I just tell him how busy I was that day. 
or how nervous I was in that moment or how afraid I was or how I thought those people would criticize me or I thought I, I was too dirty or I thought that I just didn't have enough information or I wonder if we'll even say that stuff or if we'll just be like, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? First Peter verse three, chapter 3, verse 15 says, You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. I, I don't understand. Do we just get to like one line that stuff in our Bible? That means cross it out, Cameron. That's like what you say in the office, like cross it out. <laughs> Do we get to rip that stuff out of our Bible if we don't like it? Or does that apply to all of us? Like, are we all supposed to be ready to tell people about the hope inside of us? Or only the people who are courageous enough for it? Only the people who are comfortable speaking in public? Only the people who have been Christians for at least 10 years? Or only the people who are under the age of 60 and then when I hit 65, I get to retire from Christianity? Like, do we get to just rip stuff out of the Bible that we are uncomfortable with? Come on, get real with yourself. Be honest just for a second. If you're here and you say you've been a Christian for 10 years, 5 years, 3 years, 1 year, 50 years, is there anything about that tenure? Is there anything about that time that would be evidence that you care about lost people? Is Jesus' mission your mission? Back where I grew up, uh, area is very different than here. So the area I grew up in is very Catholic, Okay. And so about, about 50% of the county I grew up in is Roman Catholic. And so a lot of my friends growing up were Roman Catholic. And uh, here it's like, you know, uh, a huge chunk of Baptists and a huge chunk of like Pentecostals, you know. And uh, so where I grew up, it was like about 50% Catholic. And then like the other 50% was like pretty evenly dispersed, really, between like Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, um, you know, assemblies of God, churches like that, kind of split up pretty evenly. But one of my friends growing up who was a Roman Catholic, <clears throat> and you can be a Roman Catholic and still become a Christian, but this guy was not. And uh, in high school, he became a Christian and just like lit on fire for the Lord, just dove all in. And uh, I don't know, about five years later, uh, an uncle of his was about to die. And, and when you're Roman Catholic, and if you're like a staunch Roman Catholic, when you're about to die, what they do is they call in a priest. And the priest comes to your bedside, and he will read for you like your last rites. That's what they call it, okay? And it's basically like kind of ushering you into the kingdom, right? And so he kind of reads over you the last rites, and, and, and they, they feel like that's crucial for you getting into heaven, you know, like welcoming you into eternity. This uncle was about to die, and they said, do you want us to call in a priest? And he said, no, um, I would rather see John, his nephew. And so John comes and uh, talks to them and shares the gospel with them, and the guy repents and becomes a Christian. And uh, I said to him, I was like, that's crazy that he'd call you to come in. Like, why didn't he want to see the priest? And, and what the guy said to the relatives was, he's like, I want to see John because I know that he loves the Lord and has real answers. Whew. I was like, that's amazing. And I was just wondering, like, if that's what people would say of us. Something's going wrong in their life. Maybe they're on their deathbed. Maybe they're just having a problem at work or at home. Maybe they're having a problem in their marriage or with their kids. Maybe they're having a problem with some substance or some finances. I wonder if they'd be tracking you down. Because they think, man, that guy loves the Lord. And that girl's got some real answers. Or is it like a mystery to all the people in my, in my life? I wonder. Here's the last one. You ready? Training over trying. I wrote training over trying for this one. There's a big difference between training and trying. And I think a lot of us as Christians, we miss this, mess it up a little bit. Anybody that's ever run a 5K or anything like that, you know this. I, I have run 5Ks before, Kenny. I mean, I, I couldn't do that now. I'd, I'd die. 
you know. But like back when I was young, I could do that. And so, uh, so training, anybody that's done that, you know there's a difference between training and trying. Like if I went out right now and tried to run a 5K, I'd fall over, okay? But I could go out right now and train for a 5K. It's just a little bit of effort, right? So there's a big difference between training and trying. And so the Christian life is a lot of training, but it's not about trying. It isn't about you trying harder. And all the stuff that God wants you to do isn't so that uh, you can get more credit, get more eternity, get more life, get more saved. There's no such thing. God gave you all the grace and all the reward he was ever going to give you the moment you surrendered your life to him. But he still wants you to train the rest of your life. There's a lot of ways you could train, but I just want to give you a few of them. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Paul writes, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So let me just give you like five quick ways you can train yourself, okay? And then I'm just going to circle back to the training over trying thing, okay? Here's the first one. God's Word. Train yourself in God's Word. I'm not going to show you a bunch of verses on these. The Bible's chocked full of passages on all five of these. If you want me to share some with you later, after I'm not sick anymore, I can. Or you can text me or call me later. But God's Word, I'm going to internalize it. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to study it. I'm going to think on it. I'm going to make it part of my day every day. God's Word. Training. Second one, giving. Oh, I can't remember where the verse is at now, but if you want to know, ask me later. I'll tell you, but there's a verse in the Bible that says, like, the purpose of tithing is to train me, train me to remember that God's in charge. The purpose of tithing is to train me or to teach my heart that God's in charge. You get it? It's like, so when I give to God, it reminds me that I'm not in charge of my money, that God's in charge. Here's the third one. You ready? Praying. Pray without ceasing. Pray always in every situation. Don't be worried about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's given you. And then you'll experience peace. Praying. How can I pray all day? Listen, prayer doesn't have to be I get down on my knees and I fold my hands or I cross my heart or anything. It can just be talking to God. Like while you're working, while you're at school, while you're eating a meal. For some people, they think prayer is just like this thing I do right before bed or right before I eat dinner. That, that is prayer too, but like it can just be like, man, I'm wiped out. God, help me. God, just help me right now. Somebody treats you bad at work, be like, God, they just treated me bad. I need some help because I want to smack them. Can you help me like just love them anyhow? God, my kids are annoying me. Can you help me to have patience? Can you just bless me with some patience right now? Like, praying all throughout the day about everything. I got a decision to make. Should I buy this on Amazon or not? Probably not. Probably not. You know? Should I buy this or not? Pray about everything. So that stuff's little. God doesn't want to hear about that. Of course he wants to hear about it. My kids tell me little stuff all the time. It doesn't have any impact on my life at all, but I want to hear all of it. I ask them every day, like, what'd you do at school? I don't care what they did at school. What does it matter what they did at school? They're not going to teach me anything. Like, what's second grade math going to teach me? But I want to know because I love them. I want to hear about their day. I want to know what was exciting and what was discouraging. I want to be there to encourage them, and I want to be there to challenge them. And God's the same way. He wants to hear from you. Just talk to him all throughout the day. You don't have to be freaky about it, like stand up in the middle of the office and start praying out loud. Don't do that. Don't scare people. Just talk to God all day. He can hear you. Discipline yourself. Training. Here's the fourth one. You ready? Fasting. It's like this big religious thing people are scared of. Here it is. You ready? Fasting is just giving up a meal. Giving up a meal so you can get more focused on God. That's it. So maybe I skip a meal a day. Maybe I skip a, a day of eating a week. Maybe I go two or three days without eating. And during that time, I would normally eat. I just commit to go off by myself somewhere and get down on my knees and pray. And something about not eating kind of focuses you in on like your need for food. And you get real 
aware of how dependent you are on God for everything. So fasting. And then the fifth one, serving. Serving others. The Bible's super clear that the reason you've been given a gift from God is for you to serve one another in His church. That's it. He's given each of us gifts according to His own desire. And we're supposed to use those gifts to encourage, empower, strengthen, challenge one another. That's it. And I found in our church, maybe it's like this in every church, I don't know, but in our church, there's people all over the place that are willing to serve. They're just not willing to commit to serve. But serving without the commitment isn't training yourself anything. It's just doing whatever you feel like doing whenever you want to do it. But I need the training. Like, I need the commitment. I need to commit my ways to the Lord, and, and, and He'll make those plans succeed. Like, I need that. My Christian experience can't just be whatever I feel like making it. It's got to be God's way. So I commit to serving others. And I, I want you to know, like, that difference between willing to serve and willing to commit to serve keeps a lot of people in our church from being part of the worship band, from being part of the teaching ministry in our kids' class, from being part of our preaching team up front, from running the sound or the computer in the back, from coming early to help set up, set up chairs. Because like, I love to set up chairs, but I don't want to be on the hook for having to come early to do it. I just don't want to commit. I'll serve whenever I feel like it. You see the difference? Is, does it make sense? Like what we're doing? How we're making our Christian experience all about us instead of all about surrender to the Lord? You see the difference in all these areas? It's really all I got today. Other than I brought my Rubik's Cube again. If you've been at our church for a while, you've heard me say this before. But the Christian experience is a lot like a Rubik's Cube. I can tell you how to do it in like 10 seconds. But it'd take you like a whole lifetime to figure it out and get it back to normal. It isn't always really about just like understanding what I'm supposed to do. It's about going out of here and spending my life doing it. And so you can be a hearer of the word or a doer of the word. What we did right here for the last 35, 40 minutes is we were all hearers of the word. And now you get the opportunity, the choice, to go out of here and let it go in one ear and out the other, or to let it soak into your heart and start doing what God's word says. To start committing your plans to him and let him make them succeed. To surrounding yourself with wise people who love the Lord and seeing God bless your life for it to praying and fasting and internalizing God's word and serving others and all those spiritual disciplines and seeing God reward your life for it, to getting serious about reaching lost people, talking about your faith, inviting people to church, sharing the gospel with them, committing that you're going to do whatever God says to do, whether you feel like it or not, You get the choice to do God's word or just hear it. It's always on you. We're not trying to get you emotionally hyped up. We're not like some African tribe. We're not lighting a fire in the middle of the floor and we're all dancing around it, getting you into a froth so you can get ready to go out and do battle. We're just sharing the truth of God's word with you. You got it? All the other stuff is garbage. I don't want you on some emotional high where you just make some commitment to the Lord because it feels good. And then you go out and you live like garbage. I want you to see what God really says about our lives. And I want you to make the choice. Is Jesus going to be my Lord? Or am I going to be my own God? That's the choice you're faced with every time you look into the perfect law of liberty. You get to look at it. And it can either set you free to be exactly who God designed you to be, or you can stick your middle finger up in the air at God 
and you can keep being in charge of your own destiny. And someday you'll stand before the Lord and you'll have to give an answer for why everything his son did for you and why everything he told you to do wasn't good enough. And you decided to call your own shots instead. And I'll have to do the same thing. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, it's hard truth. It's hard truth. But you know my heart, and you know that I would love for the people in our room right now to go out of here and be able to feel spiritually recharged this week. So would you give them one of these five things to grab onto, God? And would you give them the courage to act on it? And what I know deep down in my heart, Father, is that you want them to love you more than I want them to love you. That you want them to follow your son more than I want them to follow your son. And so what I'm asking you right now to do is just to fill our space with your spirit. Invade all of our hearts and minds. Convict us of our sin. Convict us of our defiance and our disobedience. Open up our eyes to the truth we needed to see and hear today. And God, just empower us with the courage to go out and live it for you. To take the next step of faith. We still won't be perfect. We'll still need your grace. But I just want to keep moving closer and closer to you. I keep searching for you with all my heart. And believing that if we do that, we will find you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday at 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park building. We hope to see you soon.